presidential politics. We are a year and a half out, and we are already in the thick of it, correct? And one of the things that we're seeing is the potential for a female president. Mrs. Clinton, we have a picture of Hillary, I believe. I don't, there we go. Uh, That's an interesting picture there. Uh, Josh picks the pictures. Always remember that, and sometimes I don't have the chance to... uh, to censor those too. So, hey, weren't those videos great this morning? And that Wayne picked those. Weren't the, he did a good job with those. He really did a, a great job with those. Uh, but but uh, we know the Republicans have like 94 people right now who have uh, come out. In fact, Scott Hill just announced that he is running as a Republican. Right now, the Democrats just have one, and it's Hillary. So, uh, at some point, uh, and maybe this, this time, the, the final election may be between a man and a woman, a female president. So, tonight in Judges chapter 4, we're going to look at a phenomenal female leader, a national leader. But my premise, and what I think the Bible's premise is this evening, is the, the thing that made her great, or that made uh, some of the ones before her great and after her great, was not primarily gender, it was character. It was who they were from the inside out. So tonight as we look at this, it, uh, I think it can give us a good uh, warm-up spiritually and remind us what should we look for in our, pol- our politicians and our leaders. Uh, I'm afraid by the time we finish tonight, we will realize we have no one that is qualified to be the president of our country uh, in the next year. But one thing, too, is that, that as you look at these, take these to heart for yourself. Because it's always easy to say, well, they should be like this, they should be like this. You and I should be like this, too. So what are these qualities? Number one, walk with God. What are you looking for in a leader? You're looking for a leader, hopefully, who walks with God, who has a relationship uh, with, with God. In my first church... I'd been the pastor there about a month, and I preached on Sunday night, and I really thought I waxed eloquently. It was a beautiful sermon, very powerful, very effective, uh, you know, and all those things that I could think of. And after I'd finished, uh, I talked about walking with God, and I'd used that phrase about 400 times. And after I'd finished and I was on a high of how great I'd done, a little girl walks up to me and says, what in the world does it mean to walk with God. It means to live for God and to be intimate with God and to follow him uh, in your life. So let's look in Judges chapter 4, Judges 4, verses 1 through 3. We'll start there. It says, after Ehud died, remember Ehud was the guy two weeks ago that stuck the sword all the way through Tubby. You remember that? In that extremely interesting passage, uh, made for TV series. Uh, after Ehud died, listen, the Israelites once again did evil in the eyes of the Lord. You're talking about a bunch of simpletons. I mean, over and over and over, they keep doing the same thing. Who's that sound like? It sounds like you, doesn't it? It sounds like me, doesn't it? It sounds like us. So the Lord sold like a piece of property that he owns them into the hands of Japan a king of Canaan who reigned in Hazar. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in the weirdest town ever, Harosheth Hagoyim. 
Verse 3, because he had 900 iron chariots and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. Let me ask you a question. How long are you going to have to suffer under your own sinfulness before you're going to call out to God for help? You know, wouldn't one year have been good enough? 20 years. Think about that. Isn't that crazy? Here's a little background. A lot of what we have seen earlier in, in, this, chat, in this book took place in the southern part of Palestine more the Jerusalem we would think of area. Now, this, this conflict moves up into the northern area of Galilee. Who was raised in Galilee? Jesus, the Sea of Galilee, uh, up in there. It says that this Japan. Now, a lot of scholars believe that Japan was a formal title for this king of Canaan. Like Pharaoh, the kings of Egypt were called what? Pharaohs. And that Japan may have been his personal name, but it very, very also may have been a title that they used to call these kings of this area. Uh, it says he had 900 iron chariots. Now, two things with this. We've seen iron uh, already in this book. And, and one, iron versus wood makes it tougher, makes it sturdier, makes it heavier, makes it more durable. And it was intimidating. So the Jewish people are being ruled by a powerful group of people who have effective technology, and they're in trouble. And it takes them 20 years to realize, you know what? Hey, if we turn to God, maybe things will get better. And in verse 4, they do. Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of a weird guy named Lapidoth, was leading Israel at this time. The, the word Deborah literally means bee or honeybee. And some scholars say she was as busy and organized as a, uh, as a little bee. Now, she is the only female judge that we're going to see in this book. Remember, a judge is not a king or a queen, but it's kind of an appointed leader and arbitrator. And, and her and Samuel are the only judges who are prophets. Now, it says she is a prophetess. What does that mean? That's just the female version of a prophet. What is a prophet in the Old Testament? It's one who got a word from God. And who could articulate that word for God. In the New Testament, the word prophet is used. And most of the time, you would want your pastor or your preacher to be a prophet. But it's not talking primarily about predicting the future. It's talking about proclaiming truth as a prophet. An Old Testament prophet proclaimed truth. But they were also, uh, a lot of times, God's voice to the people to tell them what was going to take place in the future. If they did X, Y would happen. If they did Y, this would happen. So uh, that, that was the role of the prophet or the prophetess. And, and, and I'm just going to tell you this, uh, summing it up, and we're going to look at the rest of the chapter together tonight. We've got at least two and a half more hours, so it won't be hard to do that. This lady had a walk with God. Just because someone was a prophet or a prophetess did not mean they walked with God. In fact, there were evil prophets and evil prophetess. This woman walked with God. She had a close relationship with God. I want to ask you this evening, how intimate are you with Jesus? I don't know about you, but I think the number one thing we need in the next president of our country is somebody who walks with Christ. Who lives close to him. Who's intimate with God. Folks, you need to be intimate with your husband or your wife. You need to be close to family and friends. You need to have a deep personal relationship. Probably with more people than you have tonight. But more than anything else, you need a deep walk with God. Absolutely. 
our leaders need that. When you go to the voting booth, I don't mean this to be condescending, but you don't vote. You don't vote a party. You vote God if you're a Christian. I'm not telling you how to do that. That needs to be between you and God. But what you need in a leader more than anybody else is not someone who's going to promise you they're going to give you what you want. Most of the time, that's an L-I-E anyway. You need someone who knows God and walks with God. But you, again, have no control over them. You have 100% control over you. And what you need to do more than anything else is walk with God. Deborah was a hero not because she was a woman. Deborah was a hero, number one, because she walked with God. Let me give you a second characteristic, and that's wisdom. That's wisdom. What do we need in a leader? What do you need in your life? What does your family need from you? They need you to walk with God and they need you to be wise. What is wisdom? Very simply, it's doing life effectively. It's doing life practically in an effective way. You can have a PhD and an EDD and a DMN and a DR and a, uh, everything that you can find out there and not be wise. You can be super intelligent and have an off-the-chart IQ and not be wise. Wisdom is living life well. It's living life practically well. In verse 5, it says, She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites came to her to have their disputes decided. Now, the palm of Deborah may have been named after the fact because she was so wonderful as a leader. Or it may have been why that's, everybody just knew, hey, that's where we'll call that the palm of Deborah because that's where Deborah hangs out. She acted as an arbitrator and a judge for the people, a judge and a jury, and I guess sometimes maybe of a hangman. Uh, she was a person who was supposed to help administrate justice to the people. And to the Hebrew people, justice was very important. Justice is very important today, isn't it? I would say this, just as a little side note, man, you need a leader who's going to give justice, don't you? Not, not favors, not uh, preference, not uh, this person gave me a lot more money than this group or whatever. You need a leader who's interested in justice and fairness, and that's what this lady did. Uh, but I want to tell you, her, her attuneness to God... Her wisdom that she displayed and how she lived her life was a reason that God and the people elevated her to a position of leadership. So let me say this again. When it comes to looking for a leader, if they have high degrees and high education, that's great. Maybe they don't have that, but they have real wisdom. Always pick wisdom first. Wisdom, okay. What do you need in your life? I would encourage you to pursue all the education you can get, young people. But if you have all that without wisdom, you're going to be an educated moron and an educated failure. Let's talk a little bit about what wisdom looks like. There was an ad that was telling you how to catch a porcupine. How do you catch a porcupine? It said that you find there's the porcupine. If you don't know anything about that, you don't just catch it with your hand, Right? Uh, because you would get stuck really, really, really bad. 
So the, the guy said, the first thing you do is you find the porcupine, and then you throw a washtub over the porcupine, and then you sit on the washtub. And then if you have wisdom, then you figure out what you do with the porcupine at that point. It takes wisdom. You don't have to be that smart to throw the washtub on it. It's going to be wisdom that knows what to do with it after that. Fred Baxter sent me something this week that illustrates wisdom in a beautiful way, in a very clear way. It's this article titled, A New Doctor in Town. And it says, an old geezer, we'll say maybe his name was Norman, who had been a retired farmer for a long time, became very bored, and he decided to open a medical clinic. And he put up a sign outside that said, Dr. Geezer's Clinic. Get your treatment for $500. If not cured, you get $1,000 back. How many of you wish that was on the door at Green Clinic? Wouldn't that be good? Dr. Young, who was positive that this old geezer did not know beans about medicine, thought this would be a great opportunity to get $1,000. So he went to Dr. Geezer's clinic. This is what transpired. Dr. Geezer, Dr. Young said to Dr. Geezer, I have lost all my taste in my mouth. Can you please help me? Dr. Geezer said, yes, nurse, please bring me the medicine from box 22 and put three drops in Dr. Young's mouth. He can't taste anything. She dropped him in there. Dr. Young screamed and said, that's gasoline. Dr. Geezer said, congratulations, you're healed. That'll be $500. Dr. Young gets annoyed and he goes back after a couple of days figuring to recover his money. He says, Dr. Young, I've lost my memory. I can't remember anything. Dr. Geezer says, nurse, please bring me medicine from box 22. Dr. Young screams and says, no, that's gasoline. He said, your memory's back. That'll be $500. Dr. Young's hot at this point. After a few days, he figures out a way he can, he can beat Dr. Geezer because he wants that $1,000 just to break even now. So he comes back in and he says, Dr. Geezer, my eyesight has become weak. I can hardly see. Dr. Geezer says, I don't have any medicine for that. So here's your $1,000 back. But he only hands him $500. Dr. Young looks at it and says, that's only $500. Dr. Geezer says, congratulations. You got your vision back. That'll be $500. How many of you agree Dr. Geezer had wisdom, didn't he? See, that's what wisdom is. Wisdom, and folks, I want to tell you, I watch the news a lot. I don't see a tremendous lot of wisdom in Washington, D.C., um, maybe that's ugly, but it's true. I, what we need in a leader is somebody that knows how to help us have a great country and do life well. And I'm not kicking a Democrat or Republican. I'm just saying moving forward, when you vote, vote for people who have wisdom. What do you need in your life today? You need to be a wise person. And I think wisdom comes from an overflow with your walk with God. James chapter 1 says, if you lack wisdom, ask God who will give it to you freely. One of the prayers of your life every day should be, God, give me wisdom. God, help me to be wiser. Here's number three. Not only does the great leader walk with God and have wisdom, they hear God. They hear God. Is it possible to be wise and not hear God? Now listen to me, in a limited way, yes. I, I know some people who are not Christians who I would say are, are practically wise, but there's a huge gap there. There's a huge miss there uh, in their wisdom. And a step up just from someone who is wise is someone who hears God. In verse 4, Deborah, a prophetess, this was a lady 
who heard from God. And we see this in the story. In verse 6 and 7, she sent for Barak, son of Abinadon, from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord God of Israel commands you, Go, take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead the way to Mount Tabor. I will lure Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with the chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Now, she not only was wise and knew how to, to do life practically, she heard from God. I want you to see Mount Tabor. We have a picture of Mount Tabor. Mount Tabor uh, sits about 1,800 feet above sea level. And you see all those trees around there. So uh, basically, God was having them go, and they were getting up in this mountain, and they could, they could hide in the trees. So it was a very strategic, a very wise, uh, but a very God-led way to, to go into this battle. Uh, we also have a picture of the Jezreel Valley that you can see from Mount Tabor. Uh, that's also associated with Megiddo. Do any of you know what Megiddo is from the book of Revelation? Uh, there's going to be a great battle there someday where, where uh, God's going to win and the bad guys are going to lose forever. But, so you've got what you've got fixing to happen is you've got the good guys are going to be up in the hills and the bad guys are going to be in the valley. And if you know anything about warfare, it's always better to be fighting downhill than uphill. That's a strategic and intelligent thing. Now, verse 11 through 14, we see again how she hears God. Now, Heber, the Kenanite, and had left the other Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law, and Pinchus Tit by the great tree in Zanunum, near Kadesh. When they told Sisera that Barak, son of Abinanum, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera gathered together his 900 iron chariots and all the men with him, and he went to the Kishon River. Then Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands, so the, the Lord's gone ahead of you. So Barak went down from Mount Tabor, followed by 10,000 men. You know what, man? You, you, you know one thing that made Deborah great? She heard from God, didn't she? She heard from God. And, and one of the cool things about the New Testament is, is that, that you can hear from God too. Verse 8, uh, Romans chapter 8 verse 9 says that if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit in you. And that you can hear from God too. Now, I love verse 8 here in the story. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Now, here's two things. Either this was kind of a sissified man, right? Or he knew this is somebody who heard from God. And he said, you know what? If I'm going to go stick my neck out, I want someone leading me and with me who hears from God. What a, what a great story. Wouldn't it be great to have a, a leader who heard from God? Whether it's in the uh, Ruston leadership, state leadership, national leadership, to have someone that was hearing from God. And I'm not saying we don't have some that do. But when you go to the election booth next November, maybe one of the criteria should be, I wonder who hears from God the best out of this group. Who hears from God? Who hears a word from God? You see, a, a wise person can give me practical insights on how to live, 
But a person who hears from God can help me understand the mind of God. Did you hear that? A wise person can give you practical insights on life. But a person who hears from God can shed insights into your life on the mind of God. How many of you want to know the mind of God? Amen. Wow. Folks, I want to tell you, as your pastor, and what I'm fixing to say applies to you 100%. Man, I need to hear from my wife. I need to hear from you. I need to hear from my staff members. In fact, 90% of anything good I do, uh, it comes because my staff members have helped me come to that. But what I always tell my staff members is that I've got to ultimately hear from God. And that's what you need. You need to hear from God. You need to spend time with God every day. You need to nurture and grow that relationship with God. You need to know the Bible. You need to know the voice of the Holy Spirit. I love what Charles Stanley said. He said, how do you know the voice of the Holy Spirit? He said, it's like learning a foreign language. The more you study it, the more you hear it, the more you're saturated with it, the better you understand it. Amen. Some of us don't hear God well because we don't listen much. Some of us don't hear God well because we don't listen much. What we need in a leader and what the world needs in you and me is someone who hears God. Let me give you a fourth thing, and I think this may disqualify everyone in Washington. It's not about the power and glory. (laughs) Don't be about the power and glory. We have just emptied the Congress, haven't we? Probably emptied a lot of churches. Do you agree with me? You narrow presidential candidates down. (laughs) When you say, am I going to vote for one who's uh, about the power and the glory? Obviously, y'all don't, but um, I'll go on. Verse 8 through 10. These are phenomenal. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I'll go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Listen to what Deborah said. Very well. I'll go with you, but because the way you're going about this, the honor will not be yours. For the Lord will hand Sisera over to a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh, where he summoned Zephelin and Nephthali. 10,000 men followed him, and Deborah also went with him. Now, here's, here's some cool stuff. We're going to see later whether this woman getting the glory, whether he was talking, she was talking about her or another woman getting the glory. But you know the thing that, that really, man, that really thrills me about Deborah? She wasn't about, the, she wasn't about the glory, was she? She didn't say, hey, I'm going to go with you. I heard from God, so I'm going with you. I'm going to be out front. And we're going to make sure that in the legacy of Israel that Deborah gets the glory, right? No, Deborah didn't want to go. Deborah said, nope, okay, you won't go without me, I'll go. But by me going, that's going to take away from the prestige that you could have received. Is that not awesome coming from a leader? Wow, I think it is. How rare for someone to not want the focus to be on them. You know, you think about some of the great leaders in the past. Harry Truman's famous quote was, the, the buck stops here. There's Truman. 
In other words, he was saying his job as president was a responsibility. When I began following politics probably 30, 25 years ago, one of the things I noticed is I would always hear him talking about the legacy they wanted to leave, how they wanted to be remembered. That's not the most important thing in leading a country. It's how you're going to be remembered. It's how the shape we're going to be in when you're done. Bear Bryant was a great football coach at the University of Alabama, and I love some things he said. Here's some things he said. He said, when the team did great, it was all them. When they did good, it was us. And when they did bad, it was me. Now, when they did bad and he said it was me, he was going to make them pay a very dear price the next day as he took responsibility for it. But what I love about that, that is he deflected the glory and the honor to the players. And when it went bad, he took the responsibility on himself. That's the kind of leader you need to be, I need to be, and that's who we ought to look for in our next leader. But let me tell you what happens when you put all these in the mixer and you mix them up, success. You have success. Verse 15 and 16. At advanced, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots. An army by the sword. And Sisera abandoned his chariot and he fled on foot. But Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as the bad guy's homeland. And all the troops of Sisera fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Now, in chapter 5, verse 20 and 21, it tells us a little bit more about this. It says, from the heavens, it's talking about the battle, the stars fought. From the courses, they fought against Sisera. The river Kishon swept down away, the old age river. The river Kishon marched on my soul, be strong. And what did all that mean? What happened was, is you got the Jewish people, they're coming down from the mountain. The, the bad guys are down in this valley. They're near the Kishon River. It starts pouring down rain. They have a hailstorm. The river overflows. They're in these elaborate, heavy iron chariots. They get bogged down in the mud. They become death traps instead of becoming war machines. And the Jewish people are able to go down there and slaughter them. And, and uh, I mean, it's just a tremendous, tremendous victory. In fact, it was probably 10,000 Jewish people fighting against forty to 100,000 Canaanites. Okay, that's pretty significant. That's a huge significant thing. Let's go back to chapter 4, verse 17. Sisera, however, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Canaanite, because there were friendly relations between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the clan of Heber, the Kenite. Now, we're not going to go back and look at this, but if you're taking notes, you can, uh, you can connect this to verse 11 and 12. Jael's husband apparently had ratted out the Jewish people to the Canaanites. And so there, Cicero feels like that this is a safe place to go because these people have been on his side. Never has a man made a worse mistake with a chick than this guy just made. Verse 18 and 19, Jael went in to meet Cicero uh, and said to him, come my Lord, come right in, don't be afraid. So he entered the tent, and she put a covering over him. I'm thirsty, he said. Give me some water. He opened a skin of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him up. Now, some scholars say gave him milk because milk would make him drowsier than water. Covered him up as a way, one way of kind of, uh, she get him all tucked in. He couldn't move as well. And things are fixing to go bad at this point. Verse 20 and 21. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone comes by and asks you, is anyone here? Say no. 
But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. And she drove the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. How many of you remember I told you when we started in Judges back three months ago that this should be rated R? Now, this is hilarious. I'm reading this week, and one scholar actually says... Well, Jael actually violated the Near Eastern hospitality rules. Are you kidding? That's a rule in Louisiana. You don't drive a peg. (laughs) Sorry. (coughs) Violated the Near Eastern hospitality by driving a tent peg into his temple. Now, these are nomadic people. They moved around. So she, the women, this is cool, men. The women were probably in charge of the breakdown and the put-up of the tent. Can you say amen to that? Because I, I hate doing that. I mean, it's like, we're going to go hunting. Y'all put the tent up, okay? So she was good with the mallet and with the peg. And so and these pegs are probably about like this long. So he's asleep. He's had that milk, and he's tucked in. And the next thing he knows, he's in hell. I mean, boom. I mean, he is nailed to the ground. And, and, and to summarize the story, I'm just going to summarize it. Then Cicero comes flying in. He comes flying in, and uh, he says, uh, what's happened? And she says, I've already killed him. So this could be prophetic. He was going to get the glory for the kill, but now the woman gets the glory for the kill. And I think also Endeavor did too because she was leading out here. Remember I talked about this last two weeks ago. This is what we would call descriptive scripture, not prescriptive. Descriptor means it's describing what's happened, not prescribing, Jason, what you need to do this week to a visitor at your house, okay? It is prescriptive. Now, these were evil people, and strange as it may sound, this was God's will for this to happen. And, and here's what's so cool. Uh, oppression that had been going on for 20 years ends in one day when they do it God's way. Isn't that great? Man, you're, you're struggling, you're fighting. Maybe you need to do it God's way. I'm not telling you you're going to get the victory tomorrow, but it's going to come sooner when you start doing it God's way. Yeah, there's ten, they had 10,000. The bad people had 40 to 100. They had the iron chariots. The Israelites didn't. But remember 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he that is within me than he that's in the world. What lies in you is far greater than what lies in front of you if God is in you. Amen. So let's do it God's way. We need a leader who will be God's person. And if we don't, we don't have ultimate control over that. You choose to be God's man or God's woman like Deborah. That's where success is found. So tonight, here's our decisions. If you're not a Christian, you need to cross that line with Christ. You can't, you're nowhere until you cross the line with Christ. Come and do that tonight if you haven't. You'd like to join the church this evening, we would love for you to. You can come down the aisle, we'll help you do it this evening. Or maybe tonight as a Christian, God's spoken to your heart. There's things that need to be straightened out and fixed in your life. Let's start on it tonight. Let's stand. And as God leads you, you come.